0: We don't have to tell you that it's been another challenging year with lots of tough news and changes and uncertainty. Launching this podcast has been a bright spot for us, and we hope it has been for you too, bringing you a little joy or escape in the way only a really good book can. If you're able, help us continue to bring you these conversations in the year to come. Just visit donate.npr.org to give to your local NPR station today. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbong. If you're listening to this, a book podcast from NPR, I think it's fair to guess that you have some interest in narrative and how it shapes a story. But what about real life? More specifically, your life? It's something I've been thinking about since I heard this next interview with journalist and author Salika Juwad. Her best-selling book is titled Between Two Kingdoms, A Memoir of Life Interrupted. And it's about how after she got diagnosed with leukemia, she lived in this stretch of uncertainty and isolation. I'm going to take another wild guess here and say that you can probably relate a little to that. Anyway, she told NPR's Beck Harlan from our Life Kit podcast that what got her through all of that was a creative practice, journaling, because it helped her regain some narrative control over her life.
1: I remember from your book, you wrote to yourself in your journal, you wrote, stay afloat. And I'm sure that you had to say that to yourself many times um, in the following years. What were some of the tools that you adopted to keep yourself afloat? during that time?
2: So I think one of the challenges for me when I was newly diagnosed was that I didn't have those tools, you know, all the careful plans I'd made, all the expectations I had about who I was and and how my life was going to go pretty much instantly evaporated. And so I found myself in this really lonely, dark place, especially during that first summer in the hospital. And I I really struggled to figure out how to stay grounded and anchored within that fear and, and that sense of all-consuming uncertainty. Um, and I didn't quite know how to participate in the world. Mm. You know, I couldn't, work a 9 to 5 job mm-hmm. at a time when most of my friends were starting their careers for the first time. I couldn't do any of my old hobbies. I couldn't even leave my hospital room. What I ended up doing was a 100-day project with my friends and family and the concept was really simple. We were each going to do one creative act a day for a hundred days, and so my hundred-day project, I decided to return to something I'd done pretty much from the time I was old enough to hold a pen, which was to keep a journal. And I kept the stakes really low for myself, and um, you know, told myself that I was going to write every day. It didn't matter how good the writing was; it didn't matter how much I wrote, um, but that was what I was going to do, and. Journaling um, became the place that I was able to find a sense of narrative control at a time when I had to cede so much control to others. But really, it became the place where I began to interrogate my predicament and to try to excavate some meaning from it. You know, I write in the book. That, that survival uh, is really its own kind of creative act. And, and that's what I realized in keeping that journal. When opportunities and, and possibilities feel foreclosed upon, when you're living with uh, limitations as I was, um, you have to find creative workarounds to exist, uh, to hold on to some sense of self, to... Um, explore new parts of yourself that are emerging. And so um, I think really the biggest tool was creativity for me.
1: Yeah, there was no path, and you gave yourself a path. I love that phrase that you use, um, that survival is a creative act. I read in your book, you said that at times, Feeling like you were expected to look for the silver lining, that didn't feel great. What is the distinction between survival as a creative act and just like, everything's rosy, I'm going to, you know, not acknowledge the grief, the loss?
2: So, you know, when I think of survival as a creative act, it's not trying to plaster over the isolation or to, um, you know, rewrite um, your predicament into something positive for the happy ending or um, some kind of neat resolution. It's writing into the unknown. It's writing toward uh, the discomfort. And I just want to clarify that when I talk about creativity, it's not for people who consider themselves artists or writers. I really believe right, right. creativity is something that's accessible to all of us It's not even something you have to be any good at in order to benefit from it. Um, But it's Mm -hmm. really creating a kind of container for yourself where you have the space to reflect, to show up as your most unedited self, to write the things Mm -hmm. that you can't say out loud and and to write toward and and into that uncertainty.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I know that with your treatment, you experienced isolation before most of the world could understand what that would be like out of medical necessity. And it's something that a lot more of us have become familiar with um, in varying degrees since 2020. How did you feel facing isolation along with the rest of the world after experiencing it so acutely? Were you like, I've got this?
2: I think so much of it felt familiar, everything from the isolation to wearing a face mask to, you know, walking around with a gallon of hand sanitizer in your purse. Uh, But the difference, of course, like you said, was that I wasn't experiencing it alone. And so one of the very first things that I did at the beginning of the pandemic was to reprise that 100-day project. Um, But this time, I didn't want to do it alone. I wanted to share it with a wider community. Um, and so what I ended up doing was reaching out to friends and artists and community leaders and all kinds of different people and asking them to contribute a short essay and a journaling prompt. Uh, and we called it the isolation journals and, and the mission of the isolation journals was exactly what I'd, had to learn how to do on my own in my early 20s while sick, which was figuring out how to convert that isolation into creative solitude and possibility and and maybe even community. Um, And by the end of that first month, we had over 100,000 people from all over the world Mm. who were journaling together alone. And that project is still growing strong today. And it's really, to me, uh, a testament to the kind of creative resilience of the human species and our ability to adapt and to grow and to morph when our plans get upended. Absolutely.
1: In your book, you say that the hardest part of your experience wasn't going through four years of cancer treatment, but that it was actually beginning again after you were in remission, Mm. sort of post-interruption. And I think, collectively, we're all sort of trying to figure out how to begin again um, amid—we're not quite through—but amid the interruption of the pandemic um, and all of the loss and isolation. How can— people start to take back some of that control and move forward knowing that we can't go back.
2: Mm, it's such an important question. You know, I think when our lives are upended either by an illness or a pandemic or some other kind of deep heartbreak or or a sense of loss um when we when we try to hold to our own routines when we try to apply the the plans that we'd had before such an interruption. It's a recipe for endless frustration. We're all going to be forever marked by the experience of COVID. And so that process of moving forward, I think requires a couple of things. One is reckoning with with the impact of what we've all been through. Um, The second is... Uh, allowing ourselves the space to reimagine what our lives are going to look like moving forward because none of us can return to the person or to the lives we had pre-pandemic. And and the third is really identifying what we want to carry forward with us from this experience. There are so many things about this pandemic that were so challenging and, and certain things that I wouldn't have chosen, but realized I appreciated. um I rearranged all of my priorities and and s- some of those changes are ones that I want to keep. <sighs>
1: um learning to really exist in that in between um it's not easy it's yeah, it's our endless work. I think it's certainly my endless
2: work. It's figuring out how to make a home in that in-between place and and to embrace the messiness of it.
1: So like a thank you for taking the time to talk with us and to help us find our footing in the in-between. Thank
2: you so much for
1: having me on.
0: Thanks for listening. And remember, visit donate.npr.org to support your local NPR station today. And thanks.